We're going to go ahead and just jump right into the scriptures this morning. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing in our sermon series, Prayer Is, looking at what prayer is at its essence and its core. And we're going to let Jesus teach us. If you remember when we started the sermon series a few weeks ago, I told you the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, I'll give you prayer. And he gives the Lord's Prayer. And I want to read that because everything we're going to learn about prayer is nestled into that one quick prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Listen to what it says. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this particular prayer is one that many of you are familiar with and you could probably recite. But remember what I told you when we started this. This is not intended to be mindlessly recited as if the words have some magical power. This shows us the elements of prayer. Gives us like a diamond looking at multiple facets of what it is to help us understand prayer more deeply. So I started off a few weeks ago and I talked about how prayer is intimacy with the Father. It says, our Father in heaven. We have a relationship with Almighty God. So so different than what the Jews practiced when they were approaching Almighty Yahweh God. But we come with intimacy. I told you, or Pastor Jim told you a couple weeks ago, that prayer is the power for forgiveness that we can forgive others as we pray because we're empowered by the Spirit to do so. Last week, I talked to you about how prayer is war. It's spiritual warfare. It's the, the means by which, not, not that we warm up before the fight, but the means by which we fight against the enemy. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying that the kingdom would come displace the kingdom of darkness. It's warfare. But today, I want to I wanna look at another facet that I don't think many of you have ever thought of before when you think about prayer, but it's one of the most important. So I want you to write this down. Every week we're going to give you another definition of prayer. Prayer is, and here's the fourth thing I want you to know. Prayer is submission to God. Go ahead and write that down. You're going to have a number of notes to take today. So get your notes out on your app. Get a piece of paper, whatever you got to do. Take a picture. Keep this up. I want you to learn these things. Prayer is submission to God. Prayer is the act by which we come to, to bow down before the Lord and say, I'll do your will, not my own will. Now, here, here's what I want you to hear, because this is where I think we miss prayer so much. I told you this the first week. All of us have a tendency, a natural tendency to view prayer incorrectly because we're selfish by nature. And we view prayer, we, we would never say this with our mouth, at least not if we're intelligent. We wouldn't say this with our mouth, but this is the way we practice prayer. Prayer is the means by which I get God to do what I think's right. That's the way we practice prayer. God, I want you to bless my friend, God, I want you to heal my aunt. God, I want you to help me pass this test. God, I want you to give me the, the, the mega lotto winnings. God, I want you to, like, here's what I think is best, God, and I'm going to go ahead and ask you to do it. And we think that's what prayer is. But here's the whole theme of the sermon. If you can, if you can genuinely learn this, you can tune the rest of what I have to say out. Those of you who are going to sleep anyway, just at least hear this one part. Here's the most important part. Prayer is not the means by which we get God to do what we think is right. Prayer is the means by which God gets us to do what he already knows is right. Prayer is not us bending to the agenda, uh, excuse me, God bending to our agenda, but us bending to his agenda. Prayer is the means by which he gets us to submit to his rule. That's why prayer is submission to God. To which you go, where are you getting that from? Well, I'm getting it right there in the Lord's Prayer. He said in verse 10, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me tell you why you don't recognize prayer as submission to God. 
It's because you do the same thing I do when you read that. You wrongly couple it with the statement in front of it. We hear, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we conclude that the, the only thing it's referring to is that when the kingdom of God comes, people are going to do God's will. Which, by the way, I admit to you, this is the way I viewed that passage. Like, it was just kind of restating the same thing. Your kingdom come, which is going to result in your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is absolutely an aspect of that where that's true. Because when the, will, when, when the kingdom comes, people are going to do what God wants. That's going to be how we see his kingdom, obedience to him. But let me tell you the problem of viewing that statement as only coupled with the one before it. It becomes external instead of internal. Your kingdom come outside the walls of the church, outside my faith. Your kingdom come out there, and your will be done out there as it is in heaven. It becomes about the actions of other people. Oh God, your kingdom come, your will be done in those countries where people have other religions and they have other faiths. May they convert, and may they do your will the way we do your will. Or, if we're being really honest, sometimes we pray that prayer for people who have different political views than we do. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on those people who are aborting babies and, and, and those people out there who are trying to redefine gender and all. You, God, get them to do your kingdom and, and to obey your will. Or if you're in the other political spectrum, all those people out there, they don't care about immigrants, they don't care about the poor. God, help them start acting like the church. Get them to obey your will the way we obey your will. Or maybe you've been hurt by somebody and you're saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in their life. God, I pray that you would get them to repent because they hurt me, change their ways, or they're getting ahead, whatever. You're just asking them to change. Your will be done out there the way it is done in here. But if you view it that way alone, you have missed the very point of the Lord's Prayer. It starts off, remember, our Father in heaven, which means it's about my relationship with the Father. It's not primarily about out there. It's about in here. So when I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm praying, your will be done in me and through me on earth the way it's done in heaven. Not, God, I want you to do what I think is best, but God, get me to do what you know is best. It is me saying, not my will, your will be done. Which I know as soon as you hear that, it sparks in your mind something that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the greatest picture of what it means to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's Matthew 26. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Matthew 26. Go ahead and flip over to there. We've been in Matthew 6. Go to Matthew 26. We're going to read in verses 36 and on that moment when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he learned that prayer was an act of submission. And, and I, I want you, before we dive into this, so I want you to understand, just in case you don't fully know the story, because we all come from different backgrounds in here, at this moment, Jesus is almost at the cross. He knows that his disciples are going to abandon him. He knows that the Jews have already rejected him. He knows that the Romans are going to want to crucify him. He knows he's about to carry a huge burden. And so he goes for reinforcements through prayer. And this is a, a beautiful, powerful, intimate moment where we see what Jesus prays to the Father. So Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So those are the last statements right there. Those are the ones we've been talking about this whole time. That's the victory moment for Jesus. Not as I will, but as you will. 
Don't bend to my agenda, God. Get me to bend to your agenda. But I, but I want you to look at the context of which he's praying this because we're getting a, a beautiful glimpse of what it looked like when Jesus prayed. If you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get story after story of how Jesus would pray all the time. He would pray all through the night. He would pray. But you rarely get a glimpse of what his prayers look like. And here in this moment, you get a glimpse. It says that he fell on his face. So your camera going to have to follow me here. But this is what it looked like. He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's like this. Face down. This is the way he's praying. This is not like a subtle, soft, little, gentle prayer. He is warring on the ground because he's in agony over what he's about to have to do. And what's interesting to me is just the, the shocking vulnerability you see in Jesus when he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And when he says the cup, he's referring to the wrath of God. I don't have time to go through it, but I could show you example after example in Isaiah and Jeremiah that any time in the Old Testament prophecies you hear about the cup, it's referring to the cup of the wrath of God, the suffering that comes upon the enemies of God. All the foreign nations would have to drink the cup of the wrath of God and learn that he's the all-powerful God. So when Jesus says, I don't want to drink the cup, he's saying, I don't want to incur your wrath. I don't want the sins of humanity upon my shoulders. You know, we, we take the Lord's Supper every week. We think about Jesus and his sacrifice, but I don't think we think often about the weight of the sins of humanity upon his shoulders. Every sin ever committed on his shoulders, he's guilty for it. Every sin you've ever committed that no one else has seen but you, Jesus has to, has to own before his Father. All the way back to the Garden of Eden when he's right there, Adam and Eve sin, that's now his sin. He's the one who's eaten the forbidden fruit. All the way to the moment when Pharaoh is killing all the children two years old and younger. All the way up to Herod the Great who's killing all the children two years old and younger. All the way to Hitler who has concentration camps to the drunkard father who beats his infant child. All of these are on his shoulders. And he's guilty for every single one of them. And he doesn't want to bear the sins. And with, like I said before, shocking vulnerability, he recoils from that thought. And he says, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this, Daddy. Now, when Jesus says, if this is possible, he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the infinite Father God. He knows the Father could find a way, if there was a way, it would be possible because nothing's impossible for God. And you almost see this expectation in him. He's saying, let this cup pass from me, Daddy. Like, uh, I, I think you can find a way for me not to have to do this, Daddy. Would you be willing, Daddy? And what you see is that Jesus is wrestling with this decision. It's hard for Jesus in fact, it's so hard, and I had never seen this before, I don't know how I missed it, that Jesus didn't just get to pray this one time, he had to pray it three times, the exact same thing before he's ready to obey. So here you have in verse 39, he says, if this cup can pass, let it pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. But then look at what he says next in verses 40 to 44, he keeps on going. He says, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the, the same words again. For a third time, he prayed the exact same prayer. What you learn from this is that Jesus was struggling to obey his father. 
Which maybe that sounds off to you. Like, no, 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 no. This is Jesus here. Jesus doesn't struggle to obey. He's the perfect sinless son of God. And absolutely, he's the perfect sinless son of God. But if he didn't struggle to obey, he wouldn't have had to pray for hours to come to a place of obedience. This whole Garden of Gethsemane moment never would have happened if it was easy for Jesus to obey. What you have to remember is that Jesus is human, which means he now has limitations to his divinity. He has flesh, and the flesh does not want to obey God. I don't know if you were here and you remember, but I talked about this a few weeks ago in the Like Jesus series, or actually a few months ago, and I was talking about Jesus and his need for prayer. He made prayer the priority in his life because he could not do miracles apart from the Father sending power through the Spirit. I mentioned that from time to time Jesus would say, stop, power went out for me. He, he could feel power leaving him because he did not have an inexhaustible source of power on his own. When he took on flesh, he took on limitations to his divinity. The only way he could do miracles was by praying, receiving power from the Father through the Spirit, and that's how he did That's why he had to pray over and over and over again. He had to be recharged with power in order to do it because he was limited by his, by his humanity. That's why it also says that you'll do even greater works than Jesus because we have more time to do power, to exercise power on earth through the same Spirit. Jesus was limited because of his humanity, and it is the same thing here. It was not easy for Jesus to obey his Father. He struggled, which is why he had to come back again and again and again and say, Daddy, give me strength. Daddy, give me strength. Daddy, give me strength. Because he is, he's war, he's fighting against every bit of his flesh who does not want to do this. Now, I'm, I'm so grateful that Jesus was vulnerable enough to allow this to be recorded. I'm so grateful that Matthew took the time to write this down. Because in this journey, we learn so much about prayer. We learn what it looks like for you and I to war in prayer to come to the place of submission before Almighty God. In fact, there, there are three things in this story that I, I think we can learn about prayer that I would love for you to write down. Three things that I think will help you understand prayer probably in a way you've never understood before. Here's, here's the first thing. The harder the assignment is from God, the more time you'll need to spend with God. If you want to obey God, the harder the assignment is from God, the more time you're going to spend with God in order to obey. So if you get an easy assignment from God, and some of you, every once in a while, we get easy assignments from God. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I want you to go do this, and I'm going to produce fruit, and you obey. It's not hard to walk in obedience to an easy assignment. Yes, I will obey you, Lord, when you give me that promotion at work. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You want me to buy the winning lotto card? Absolutely. I'll buy it, fill it out, scratch it, whatever. I'll do it. I'll, if it's easy, there's no struggle whatsoever to obey the Lord. But the Lord, I guarantee you, will always call you to do things that are hard. And when he calls you to do something hard, that's when you're going to struggle to obey. Every single one of you will have these kinds of moments. And the harder the assignment, and there are varying degrees of difficulty of assignments that he gives you, the harder the assignment, the more persistent you're going to have to be in prayer. If you want to come to the place of submission in prayer, it's going to require persistence in prayer. Where you pray again and again and again. Like I said, three times Jesus comes back, prays the exact same prayer. There's a tenacity you see in Jesus. And if I were being honest with you, I don't see that tenacity in myself nearly enough. I don't see that tenacity in the church nearly enough. But for whatever reason, there's this false belief that has crept into the church, and it's that somehow if we pray for the same thing more than once, that's like a lack of faith. No, like I've already prayed it, so now I've just got to wait for God to answer it. 
And if he doesn't answer it, well, maybe, maybe I did something wrong, or maybe he's not going to move, or maybe he didn't have power. But if you look at the teachings of the Scripture, not just the example of Jesus, I, I wish I could go over to, to a couple other passages. I don't have time for it, but if I were to go over to Luke 11, you would hear a story. It's right after he gives the Lord's prayer, and then he says, imagine this. There's this dude. He's got some visitors who come really late at night. He didn't have any food, so he goes over to his neighbor and knocks on the door, and the neighbor says, go away. Everyone's asleep. And it says that with shameless persistence, he keeps knocking on the door to the neighbor finally says, here, here's some food, throws him out like a basket of bread and says, get out of here. And then Jesus says, that's how I want you to pray. With that kind of shameless persistence, impudence when you pray. And then there's another story. If you were to go to Luke 18, it's a story of a widow. And she's going before a judge and she wants, she wants justice. And that's a, it's an evil judge. He doesn't want to give justice. And then it says, this woman will not stop badgering me and pestering me. So I'm going to give her justice just so she'll go away. And then Jesus says, that's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray with such shameless persistence that you keep on knocking and knocking and knocking until you think you annoy God and then keep on praying some more. That's how you pray. And so here in this moment, you see Jesus with shameless persistence coming before the Father over and over and over, praying the exact same prayer. It says for the third time he prayed the same words to the Father. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a rocket scientist here. But if Jesus had to have shameless persistence, I'm going to go ahead and guess we do too. We, we have to come and ask God again and again and again to give us the strength to obey when God gives us a hard assignment. And when we do, something phenomenal will happen. That's the second point I want you to write down. The longer we persist in prayer, the clearer God's will becomes. And this, this is gold right now. If you're not writing this down, then I'm going to slap you in the face later. This is, this is gold. The longer we persist in prayer, the clearer God's will becomes. The number one thing I hear about people when they have a hard decision to make is I want to obey God. I just don't know what he wants me to do. How do I know the will of God? How do I know it's not my will? How do I know it's God's will? The, the number one thing I hear from people is, I just don't know what God wants. Should I buy that house or should I stay where I am? Should I take that job or should I not? Should I move somewhere else to get away from what's going on or should I stay even when I don't want to? Should I give financially to this or should I not? Should I marry that person or not? Should I go to this school or this school or this school? What should I do? God, I want to obey. I just don't know your will. I'm just curious. Just for my sake, any of you ever struggle to discern the will of God? Raise your hand if you have ever struggled to discern the will of God. Okay, great, a lot of you. If you didn't raise your hand, the will of God was for you to have raised your hand. So you just <laughs> messed up his will right there. Sometimes it's hard. Every one of us, 100% of us who believe in Jesus Christ and who want to obey him will struggle from time to time to discern the will of God. But let me tell you what I see in Jesus right here. I see the will of God get clearer and clearer the more he prays the same thing. I had never seen this before until I studied this passage of Scripture. If you were to go back to verse 39, you'll notice his prayer says, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So he starts off, like I said earlier, with some kind of expectation that there's a decent chance the Father may find a new way where he doesn't have to carry all the sin and shame of humanity. So he's going, okay, Daddy, let, let this be possible. Let, let this cup pass from me. But I want you to notice what he prays in verse 42, because it's slightly different. In verse 42, he says, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. 
Did you notice a subtle change in tenor? The first one, there's an expectancy that, that maybe the father would let it pass from me. But the second time, you see it's coming into focus. He goes, okay. So it seems like you're saying this isn't going to pass. So if this cannot pass from me, then your will be done. It's like it's, it's getting clear in his mind what the father wants him to do. Now, it doesn't tell us what he prays the third time. But I can almost guarantee you by the third time he's praying, now that I know it's your will that I go to the cross, just give me the strength to do it. Which is why it says in other accounts that the angels had to go minister to him and he's, he's got drops of sweat like blood coming off of him because he's in anguish trying to get the strength to obey. But each time he prays the same prayer, the will of God gets a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer. And what I believe you're seeing right now is a pattern of how you and I discern the will of God. We keep on praying again and again and again. Sometimes for, for hours, sometimes for days, sometimes months, sometimes years, praying for the same thing again and again with shameless persistence. And every time we pray, it gets just a little bit more in focus, a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer. And God reveals his will when we're persistent in prayer. So the longer we persist in prayer, the clearer God's will will become. And the moment we now have clarity on the will of God, now we come to the last part, which is obedience. If you know God's will, you can obey it if you get the flesh out of the way. Did you notice what it said in verse 41? Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, guys, listen, don't enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is so stinking weak. He's telling us something about ourselves. He's saying, guys, it doesn't matter how much you desire to do it until you get the flesh out of the way, you will not be able to obey me. That leads to the third and final point that I want you to hear. Our spirit needs help from the spirit in order to overcome our flesh. That's all caps, so you can't see what it's supposed to look like, but our lowercase s spirit, our spirit needs help from the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, if we want to overcome our flesh. Our flesh is so strong that we will not be able to come to a place of obedience. We will always reject the will of God until the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and overpowers our flesh. Our spirit can't do it, but the spirit can do it. And so if you want to be able to walk in obedience, the only way you'll be able to walk in obedience is through the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. And the only way to access the power of the Holy Spirit is through prayer. Let me remind you, this is Jesus, the perfect son of God, and he is struggling to obey the Father. And just like I told you about prayer and his power that he had in prayer, his power came from the Father through the Holy Spirit. So here his obedience came from the Father through the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit of the Father inside of him to get him to the place of obedience. But that's why his victory was won in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the time he goes onto the cross the next day, he's already won the victory because he decided in the Garden he was going to go. And how did he decide? The Spirit of God came upon him. Listen, if you want to walk in obedience... All you need is the Spirit of God. And here's the good news. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, and said, I choose to follow you, Father. I, I choose to die to myself and to live for you. You have the Holy Spirit of God, which means you can obey the Father. The question is, are you willing to pray hard enough to have the Spirit come intercede on your behalf? Now, I'm, I'm going to pause right here before I go on, because there's one burning question that some of you in this room are asking. Some of you watching online, especially online, are asking. Because I believe there are some of you who are listening to my words right now, and if you were being honest, you would never say this out loud because you know how bad this sounds, but you're wondering why you should follow the kind of God that would make prayer about submission. Because in your mind, 
That sounds like a very controlling, domineering kind of God. And here's what I know for a fact. There are some of you listening to me right now, and you have had people who have harmed you deeply because they were controlling and domineering. You've had a spouse who was controlling and domineering. You've had a father who was controlling and domineering. You've had a, a boss or a friend or somebody who is controlling and domineering, and you are deeply wounded by it. And the thought of a God who would be controlling and domineering is just too much for you. And you're going right now in your heart of hearts, you're not saying it out loud, but in your heart you're thinking, why would I want a God like that? I want you to know if you're feeling that way, that's a great question. But at great risk of sounding arrogant, I have a great answer. And here's the answer. Because God's will is the absolute best for you 100% of the time. God's will is the absolute best for you. The only reason why God is not evil and demanding that we follow his will is because God's will is the absolute best for us because he is perfectly good. He is all powerful and he is all knowing. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what it takes to make it happen. And he's good enough to call us to what's best. And therefore, when we submit to his will, we are walking in the best life we possibly can. Not the easiest, but the best life we possibly can. This is the area, I think, where God is showing me the most in his power. I just want to share with you how God is teaching me this principle in day-to-day -day life. So if you know me, uh, I'm, I'm wired in, in a, an annoying way uh, just to be super driven and disciplined. It's, it's, it's my hard wiring. I've been encoded, but I think it's mostly good, you know, like God uses it. But sometimes it gets in the way. And, and I want you to know, I've, I've seen it get in the way for a while. I, I've had the honor of being the pastor of this church now for five years. And we're halfway through a 10-year vision that God has given us. Now, let me tell you, this this vision is not my vision for the church. The leadership of the church spent seasons of fasting and praying and crying out to God. And God has clarified for us the things we're supposed to strive after. The adoption and fostering of children, radical generosity, planting churches, sending people out. All the things we've already talked about today, God has called us to that. And we feel very strongly about that. But, but let me go ahead and confess to you. Though I know that the direction of this church has largely come through fasting and praying and, and discussion, I'd admit too much of it I've tried to accomplish through my own ability. I'm wired to think strategically. And so you know what I do? I get the staff together and go, here's the 10-year vision. Let's come up with some really good plans. We're going to take this big old elephant. We're going to find out how to bite it one bite at a time. Here are some strategies. We're going to work this plan, and I, I, I'll make sure we head toward that plan. We're going to execute well, and we're going to see what the Lord does. And the truth be told, we, we've had some pretty good things happen over the last five years. There have been a number of children brought into homes. We've been able to be radical. We've given millions of dollars away in generosity. We've sent out church planners. We've made disciples. We've had some really good things happen. But I think the Lord has been showing us that they're good, but they're not great. In fact, I think he sent a pandemic to humble a whole lot of churches, to take the, the things that we've done and say, okay, let me, let me bring you back to square one. We're going to start over from scratch here. Because I feel like the Father's saying, listen, you've done good. Golf clap. Good job, Jason. But let me show you now what I can do. And what he called me to do was to say, I want you to take your natural ability, everything that got you to where you are today, and I want you to scrap it. And I want you to come under my will. And my will is that you pray a whole lot more than you've ever prayed before. And so I went before my pastor advisor council. I had my strategic plan. I said half of it is just going away. And I'm going to spend a whole lot more time just praying, hours and hours praying every single week, crying out to God to see what he can do. So I do a whole lot less strategically than I've ever done before. And I have seen God do more than I have ever seen him do this year. 
I just had this, uh, a beautiful chance this past week to look over my prayer journal and see thing after thing after thing where God just, he just blew my mind of how he did abundantly beyond all that I could ask or even imagine. I was looking back to the time I went to DBU praying for 20 mentors to sign up and we had about 120 sign up and then about 70 of them trained and already in the schools before the year was over. And I, I couldn't even dream of that. And God did it. And then a few weeks later, I was looking at my journal when we were praying like crazy for 100 volunteers of the children's ministry going, that's, that's too much, God. I can't, even, I can't even pray this without trembling. And before the week was out, we had 224 people. I'm going, God, how could you do that? This is crazy. And then I was looking back at the, the week right before Easter and we were praying for baptisms on Easter Sunday and I was scared to death to open up the baptistry on Easter Sunday because I was going, who in their right mind is going to get baptized on Easter Sunday? They got places to go. They got things to do. They're in their Sunday best. They're not going to put on a t-shirt and shorts and get baptized. But I sensed the Lord calling us to it. So we were praying and I promise you, 25 people felt like an impossible prayer. And when the Sunday was over, 67 people baptized. And I'm going, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Every week, I'm giving you an update on what the Lord is doing. And now we stand. We've been baptizing for seven weeks. We started back at the, at the Levitt Pavilion. We had a baptism celebration seven weeks ago. Up until now, we've baptized 132 people in seven weeks. This is crazy. It usually takes us about a year to see about that. And that's happened in seven weeks. And here's the best part about it. I, I say this often. I don't know if you understand what I mean when I say this. But fish are jumping into the boat right now. Literally, like, well, I don't know if it's literal or not, but they were like jumping into the boat. Because the, the Word of God says we're supposed to be fishers of men. But like in my mind, that means like you're casting the net out, right? And you're dragging them in. But right now, we're just paddling the boat and fish are going whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'm going to give you a perfect case in point. So many of you know Larry Dan. Larry Dan, raise your hand over here. Larry Dan Melton, he's the, the yeah, y'all love Larry Dan. He is, he's now the campus pastor over here for the Pioneer Campus. And what, what that means is uh, every, every guest, so if you're a guest, uh, tomorrow you're going to phone call from Larry Dan or a text or something. He's going to reach out to you because he just wants to help you connect to the church body. So if he calls, answer. And he's going he's gonna to minister to you and love on you. But he, he, a couple weeks ago, he got, got the list of first-time guests. And so on Monday, he was making phone calls. And he called a young lady, and, uh, and he introduced himself and was thanking her for coming to the church. And she said, I, I've never come to your church. <laughs> and he said, oh, what's your name? And she said, my name is Daisy. And it was not matching the name he had on his list. And he realized he'd, he'd gotten the wrong number. He's like, oh, my goodness, I, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You know, we don't want to bother anybody. And so he's about to apologize and say goodbye and, and hang up, and he feels a, a tug from the Spirit to say, well, let me, let me just ask a quick question. Well, was there any way I can pray for you? And this young lady, Daisy, begins to weep on the phone. And he's trying to talk with her, but he knows that it's, it's going to be a little bit uh, difficult with some background noise going on. And so he says, listen, I, I don't know where you live, but I, I'd love to talk to you some more. Do you live in the DFW area? And she says, yeah, I live in, in Fort Worth. And he said, well, is there any chance that you'd be willing to meet up with me at our church offices? And shockingly, she said yes. And the next day, she was meeting up with Pastor Larry Dan in the church offices. And wouldn't you believe it, by the end of their time together, she prays to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But it, it gets even better, because last Sunday in the Spanish service, she was one of the ones who got baptized. I want you to see the picture we have up here of her. That's Daisy right there getting baptized. 
I was, I was talking to, to Pastor Rafi, who's right there, who's the one who baptized her, and he said, man, she came this morning to the Spanish service, and she was radiant because you could see the power of God upon her. This is what I mean by fish are jumping into the boat. When does it happen that you make a wrong call and then by the next day that person's in the kingdom of God? Only God could do something like that. Amen. And listen, here's what's so great about it. I love Larry Dan. He's incredibly gifted. Yeah, we love him too. But let me go ahead and tell you, Larry Dan will be the, the first person to tell you this has nothing to do with me. It, it, it could have been anybody right there. The Spirit of God was moving upon Daisy. Wrong number leads to salvation in Jesus Christ as God had already ordained it to happen. We just get to be pawns in his hands that he moves around. Ain't nobody going, well, Jason's just really good at preaching right now. Or Larry Dan's just really good at phone calls right now or whatever. Everybody's going, man, God must be doing something in that church. And this is the best part about it. This is what I mean by God's will is so perfect. If, and I never even thought about this, if God had brought all the blessings because we were doing our strategies, guess who would have gotten the glory? We would have. Pat, 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 man, that Jason's a good leader. That Larry Dan, he's just a great visionary. That whoever, fill in the blank. But when God does it this way, we get to see the move of God and we don't rob any glory from Almighty God. He gets every bit of it. I want you to know nothing delights my heart more than that. See, the will of God is perfect. This is why we submit to his will, not because he's mean or cruel or domineering, but because he knows what's best. He's good. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He wants to work out his perfect will. He just wants us to submit to him. So my question to you is, are you submitting to his will in your life? I believe, as I was praying over here on Friday, I believe there are some of you in this room, and you know what God wants you to do, but you are struggling to submit to his will. He's calling some of you to do some hard things. He may be calling some of you to join the Meltons as they go to San Diego to be a part of the church planning team with Mesa Church. Got, yeah, somebody wants you to go. Praise God. She's not struggling, but some of you may be struggling. <laughs> God may be calling you to be a part of a church plant. God may be calling you to consider a program that would send you overseas to be a missionary to a land that you're scared to go to. And you're struggling to obey. God may be calling you to forgive somebody that you just don't want to forgive. God may be calling you to pull out of a relationship that you know is destructive and you don't want to give it up. God may be calling you to stay in a relationship that every fiber of your being just wants to run from. God may be calling you to be radically generous and to give when every bit of you is afraid to give because you don't think you'll be able to pay your own bills. God may be calling you to bring a child into your home through foster care and adoption and all you can think about how this is going to disrupt your home and you're struggling to obey. God may be calling you to something totally different. I don't have a clue what he's calling you to. I just know some of you in this room are struggling. And what you have to do is you have to persist. The harder the assignment is from God, the more time you're going to spend with God. And I believe that today some of you are going to need to pray to find the strength to be able to obey the perfect will of God. And so in a moment, if you're struggling with something in your life and you just need reinforcements, we're going to have pastors and counselors around the room who are going to be willing to just take you by the hand and pray with you over whatever this thing is that you're struggling to obey in. It's going to take some courage to come and say, this is an area I know I need to obey. Pray with me. But we want to be a part of filling the bowl of prayers in your life so you can see the power of Almighty God. I also believe there's some of you in the room and your biggest issue isn't that you, you don't... You're struggling to obey. You just don't know what to do. You're struggling with the will of God. And like I said before, you're one of those going, I just, I want to know what the will of God is. I just don't know how to discern it. 
And what I told you is the, the longer you persist in prayer, the clearer God's will become. So today you may need to pray a little bit more to discern what's the will of God. Let us join with you. If there's a hard decision you need to make, if, if there's something that's overwhelming you and you just need reinforcements in prayer, we just want to be partners with you to pray with you to discern the will of God. We're not going to tell you what to do. That's not our position. We just want to pray over you that you'll hear from the Spirit of God what you need to do. But would you let us pray for you? Or if you have any need today, something overwhelming you, our Father's good. His will is perfect. He wants to bless. Sometimes you just got to bring those before the Father so He can get the glory and not you. And so if you have a need, we want to pray over you. If it's a need for sickness, a need in your marriage, a need in your finances, a need in whatever, we want to join hands with you and pray over you. So we want to take that opportunity. But there's one last thing I want to say. I think this is the most important. You still see the baptistry up here on the stage. It's up here for a reason. We still believe God is bringing in the harvest, that he's not done. There are some of you who were brought here to this service because God wants you today to be the day that you submit to him entirely. There are many of you, and you love Jesus. You, you, you love the things of God but you've never come to the place where you said, God, I give you everything. I give you my future. I give you my life. I give you my, my wallet. I, I give you my relationships. I, I give you everything. There's nothing I'm going to hold back any longer. I completely submit to you. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got you to pick up your cross. you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. And there's some of you right now, the whole idea of denying yourself and picking up a cross, an instrument of torture, that's been the one place where you're going, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready. I want the blessings of God. I don't know if I'm willing to pay the price. And it's an exceptionally high price to pay to give everything to the Lord. But until you submit to God, you'll never discover the power of God. And I believe God wants to move in your life. He wants to show you his power, but you've got to come to complete submission. Baptism is a picture of that. When you go in the water, you're saying the old me is dead and gone. When I used to be in control of my life, that person's dead. And you come out of the water, it's a picture that I am now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I belong to him, but I get to see his power. I get to see what he does when he's in charge instead of what happens when I'm in charge. And I believe there's some of you, you need that fresh start in life. If you're ready today to say, I'm, I'm going to come under your, your authority. Jesus, I want to submit to you. I want you. Forgive me my sins. Take over my life. Then this morning... Like we've been doing over the last seven weeks, we have T-shirts that say, Jesus in my place. We have shorts you can change into. And then we'll, after the service is over, we'll baptize right here. And all those who are able to stay will stick around. And we'll have a chance to watch people express faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's the move you need to take, I want to encourage you to do so. So I'm going to ask you all to stand up right now, if you will. I'm going to ask the pastors and the counselors who need to come forward to come forward. And I'm asking you right now to ask the Lord to have you respond. When this song is over, I'm going to lead us as we take the Lord's Supper. But right now is a chance for you to say, Lord, I submit to you. If you're calling me to be prayed over, if you're calling me to help somebody give me eyes to discern what I need to do, you come receive prayer. If you just want to come bow down the steps too, by the way, you can do that. If you're coming today saying, I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ, I want his power to submit to him and be baptized, you come let us know. Let's respond to the Lord.